You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. And I remember just being like, this is insane. I can't believe people actually want to watch me do this. This is so cool. And the reason why I want to do that was Trivium has never been, I mean, up until this, this 10th record, we've never really been like press band or a band that's like heralded by anything other than our fans and our supporters. So I want to give back to them. I want to be like, I want to hang out with the people that are liking my breakfast photos from the Midwest of America. And I want to play video games with them and just, just hang out. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound, Talent, Media, and Evergreen Podcasts, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. I hope you had a glorious weekend. I most certainly did, because I was at Kanawaki Brewing, where there was a brand new Vox and Hops collab that dropped... That's right, three collabs, three weeks. This one was a special one. It's called Monstrosity, and it's actually kind of a competition brew. There are two versions of Monstrosity, where Drew Stevens, the head brewer of Kanawaki Brewing, has created two teams of Quebec craft beer media people, and the teams had to decide what crazy things were going to go into this beer, just the most weird adjuncts that we could think of, hence the name Monstrosity. I got to tell you that I think that uh, my team, the Youngbloods brew, was absolutely the best, but the other beer was also really good, Monstralicious. The Youngbloods brew was a smoothie sour that contained mango, peaches, vegan marshmallows, cinnamon, and carrots, and it was absolutely to die for. Uh, you can only pick it up at K-Town Brewing. They do not distribute, but it's definitely worth the trip out there if you can do that. This Fox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal are Montreal's premier metal promoter, and I'm very stoked to announce that the second edition of Heavy Montreal Presents Vox and Hops Brutal Montreal will be taking place at Corona Theater on September 2nd. Performing at this year's event is Deicide, who will be playing their classic album Legion in its entirety. With support from Cataclysm, who will be playing Serenity in Fire, their classic album. And opening up the show, we got In Human Condition. This is going to be a massive event. Tickets are now on sale, and you should absolutely go pick up your ticket if you want to come, because it's going to sell out via the link in the description of this podcast. I'm beyond stoked to have Heavy Montreal behind the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. They are the best. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I'm asking you to rate and write a review for the podcast. Now, why do I want you to do that? Well, you have to imagine that when someone is looking for a brand new podcast to listen to, what do they do? They scroll down, they check out the comments, they check out those reviews. And if the comments and the reviews are favorable, they're most probably going to give that podcast a chance. So by you rating the podcast, and even better, by writing a review, you could actually be the person that helps sway someone's decision to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, and that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now today on the podcast, I'm with Matt Heafy of Trivium and Ibaraki. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops episode number 334. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today I'm with Matt Heafy of Trivium. Uh, Matt, how you doing? Let's start with an easy, simple question. I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. It's cold. It's, you know, Montreal. We're getting slammed with snow. But What's uh, my weather what's here? From Montreal's well, let me let you know what we're at. Um, <laughs> we are 73 degrees Fahrenheit right now, Oof. which is perfect. It's not so bad. It's perfect. <laughs> this, week, this week's a little better than last yeah, week. Yeah, I bet it's like, what, negative? 30. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> That's why I live in Florida, where we don't have to ever deal with cold weather. This is, it was like 60 yesterday, and people were dressed Oof, like it was the God. Arctic tundra here. Like, I saw people walking down my street just, just dressed in complete, like... Like they were snowmen. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, let's just jump into the meat of things. Uh, I like to start this off shittily so we can go somewhere else a little bit better afterwards. How did you cope with the glorious year of 2020, 2021, and hopefully not 2022? How have you been coping with your time in these crazy times of the pandemic? It's been great. It's essentially been business as usual for me. Um, I've been streaming on Twitch for four and a half years now about that. And right when the world shut, 
finally all the people I've been telling, hey, come look at my channel, come look at my channel, come look at my channel. They were all <laughs> home. So they're finally like, I'm going to look at what Matt's been talking for the last two and a half years. They all tune in. I had my regular schedule going, regular scheduled programming, and it was fantastic to be able to connect everyone. The only thing we weren't able to do, obviously, was play shows for some of that time. But America is pretty YOLO. So like America was like, all right, let's let's go. So we just finished our first tour in like a year and a half. Um, that metal tour of the year, which was incredible. It was like five to 10,000 people a night. We just announced leg two. That'll probably be five to 10,000 people a night as well. So the ticket sales are going nuts on that. Um, so yes, I, I don't want to make it sound like I had too much of a good time when I know a lot of people didn't have a good time, but I made sure that I had the channel there so people could be there, have a community, have people they can talk to daily. Um, I talked to a lot of people from the channel that all said, I don't know where I'd be like if I'd be in a here physically or not if we didn't have the channel available because like those are the people I look forward to seeing every single day talking to those people every single day. So it was amazing to have that. It was great that I was able to provide that for people. It's amazing and incredible that you've built something. So it's massive. It's it's if you talk to anyone about any musicians on Twitch, you're you're at the Thank top. Thank you. Appreciate so. that. I appreciate it. It's all it's all thanks to the supporters. It's all thanks to them. It's, it's not that's not me. Highly impressive. I, I'm I'm impressed. Thank you. Uh, Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives, music, and craft beer. Now uh, you won't be drinking with me just right now. Uh, maybe you can tell me why. Uh, but what will you be drinking, and what are you going to be sipping on throughout this conversation? Um, yeah, I'm I'm not because I've got twin three year olds, and basically as soon as I'm off the clock and my this this room I, I run out there and it's, it's time to take care of them so we we play hot potato during the day my wife and i because we both work from home and they're three and three-year-olds are nuts and twins are nuts so that's why but yes i love beer so much i love it i've been through all the different phases of beer a phase that i recently kind of fell out of that i still love them is the fruited smoothie sour beers that's the thing i was obsessed with for a long time you got one nice i do yeah so i actually had to get to, i had to get like a special app and everything to order them because um where did i have my first one Corey one day uh, brought over. He's like, yeah, someone sent me this this care package for my birthday of beer. He's like, I don't drink beer. So here you go. He handed it to me. And it was the Energy City. It was the mango banana, I believe. And I'd never had anything like that in my life. It was like having a fruit smoothie that made that had alcohol content. So I was like, this is amazing. I started calling all the places around town. No one had them. Like no one had the smoothie beers. I was like a little too early to find those. So I got the same app and ordered tons of them. Um, and yeah, now now my fridge is overstocked with fruited smoothie beers. Then I start getting the milk the uh, the milkshake IPAs. But right now, since becoming a dad, and I think it kind of rubbed off from Paulo Paulo getting me into this. I've really been into Pilsners pretty much exclusively lately. Anything like European summer beer, Hellas, Kolsch, Pilsner, Alt beer. And since I brought off Kolsch and Alt beer at the same time, the rivalry. I will settle it with they're pretty similar, <laughs> but the color is darker than the Alt beer. I'd rather drink more Kolsch than more Alt beer. Alt beer. Alt, alt beer. Holy cow, that's hard to say as a Japanese person. Alt beer. There it is. Uh, but you're right on trend because a lot of people get into craft beer through the smoothies, through the hazy IPAs, and then as their palate develops, they end up just settling right back into the crispy bowls. Yep, yep. Something you can drink, like, you know, many more of them without, you know, feeling super bloated and exactly. disgusting afterwards. The, low, the ABVs tend to be lower. When I first got a craft beer, it was IPAs first, as it I feel like it always is. You either, like you said, you stick there, you go to the different range. Um, I went from there to German Hefeweizen, which is still one of my favorites of all time. Hmm. And then heavily into Belgians, uh, but like the really brutal Belgians, like quads, um, apt, triples. But you can't drink, you can drink more than one of those. But if you do drink more than one of those, you're, you're kind of wrecked. So it's settling into the, the hell. Would it be hell I? <laughs> no, it wouldn't. Hellas. Hellas is, yeah, that, that's the Latin joke, I think. Hell I. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I found one of my favorite breweries <laughs> in America recently called Urban Chestnut. Um, now, what they do is they actually stick to the, I don't know if it's the exact German purity laws or rules that how intense Germany does it, but they do the stuff like very legitimately German tasting. So their Hefeweizen is the only Hefeweizen I've had outside of Germany that tastes like a German Hefeweizen. Um, because a lot of the imported Hefeweizens, I feel like they kind of lose it a little bit and they kind of lose the plot of what Hefeweizen should taste like. But Urban Chestnuts... Um, Damn, I can't remember the name. My, my, I'm having serious dad brain for all names today. But Urban Chestnut's <laughs> Hefeweizen, Schnickelfritz, is some of the greatest Hefeweizen I've ever had before. Fantastic. I'm going to crack this open. This is uh, Brew Juice, which is from Brewski, which is uh, here in Montreal. Uh, they make uh, the best fruited sours yes. in Quebec. They were one, one of the first. And uh, their brewer, Derek, is an absolute wizard. I love him to death. Um, 
Last year we dropped Brutal Juice, which was a Vox and Hops collab, but this is not that. This has chocolate, raspberries, blueberries, Damn. and marshmallows in it. 5.2%. It's on the thick side of it, as I said. I'm going to crack this, pour this out, and I'd love to hear about your very first beer. Do you remember the first beer you drank, Matt? Yes. Um, our, our original drummer, Travis, took me to a house party when I was in still in eighth grade. So I was like 12 or 13. Dang, that looks good. 12 or 13. And I mean, the area that we all grew up in Florida is like pretty Southern and it's pretty Florida. So we went to like one of those like very Florida looking parties and everyone's drinking Natty Light. <laughs> was it Natty? Yeah, I think it was Natty Light. Natty. Yeah, so that was the first time ever having half of it threatening to fight him. First, the first thing I said, I said, like, where are all the chicks at? And then I started threatening to fight Travis. And I was like 12 and a half, 13 years old. So 12 and a half, okay. 13 years old should not be drinking beer. Um, no. 12 and a half, 13 to 14 ish. I think that the, the, the European standard is pretty good. 16 for your first beer at your house with your folks. You're not driving. You're not going anywhere. No, 18, 21 for, for maybe 18 for wine, 21 for maybe hard stuff. I guess that's probably a good scaling reference. Uh, but yeah, that was pretty Florida. So Natty Ice, half of it, threatened to fight my bandmate. Um, uh, the next one I think would have been a Smirnoff Ice, like, Ooh, a, like yeah. a month, like six months to twelve months later, which is not beer. No. Uh, the it's next would be I think I had a six pack of Heineken, and I remember just feeling like I, I don't think I puked, but just feeling terrible. And then my mom saw me like smiling and giggling in her kitchen because I was still in my parents' house, and so she heated up. Um, it was either chicken cacciatore or chicken adobo at like 2 a.m. to feed me that in the night so I wouldn't feel as bad the next day. So I remember those three stories pretty. The Smirnoff story, I don't remember vividly, but the other two I remember. That's a good bomb. Yes. Cheers. Cheers to you. This is uh, the chocolate really pops in your mouth right away there. That is awesome. I, I, that sounds right up my alley. Um, you can smell it too. The first time um, I ever had a sour tart. It's awesome. Really nice. First I ever had a fruited smoothie beer. I think was it delirium bar in Brussels. And it was the yeah. Mongozo coconut. And I had it with Austin from as lions and that thing changed my life. So I had that years back and then it wasn't until Corey brought over that energy city. When I first had that energy city, I actually DM them immediately. I was like, Hey, I want to buy as many cases I can. What do I do? Like we can't even ship to you. And they, they no. basically just sell their stuff <laughs> out of like a drive through lot that weekend and always sells out. I, I'd say that they make the best fruited smoothie beers I've ever had. Uh, the milkshake IPAs are pretty good. The milkshake IPAs are good. I, I like everything. As long as it's good, I'll try it. Um, my friend, oh, he collects kind of older, like the Bourbon County stuff. So like the, the mm -hmm. really strong stouts, he collects those and he'll give me like, I, I just drank a 2017 the other day. I think those mm -hmm. are like eight and a half to nine percent, but I, I do love those as well. So when, when it's cold in Florida, I drink those. Now, I never have to tell you, <laughs> I, I, I'm, your band, Cryptopsy, massive influence on me massive the, the oh, song thank you so uh, much That's yeah sick. the whisper supremacy record cold hate warm blood actually influenced the riffs of my hatred so like there's that that connection <laughs> from the intro and the verse of cold hate warm blood and i know you popped in around like 2008 2009 is when you got in right yep love your band man absolutely love your band Thank you. I've been following you since the beginning as well, since uh, Ascendancy. Damn, thanks, man. And uh, I've only actually seen you live once, I believe. I think you came through Club Soda with Dillinger Escape Plan. Was that in Toronto that or Montreal? Montreal. I can't remember if it happened in Montreal or in Toronto, but that tour was one of the roughest tours we've ever done in our entire lives because the lineup was Dillinger Escape Plan at their prime. The end, mm. red, yellow, and trivium yes. first of four for this very techie lineup. Um, I remember the first show in Canada went and played. I don't think this is the Montreal one, but the whole crowd didn't stand on the floor and they all turned their back to us. <laughs> um, I remember when we played it, it was I, maybe it wasn't club. soda. it was the Toronto gig we played there and like it was just a mess of like loading our stuff in or out. And like the staff was yelling at us, promoters yelling at us. And I remember the promoter of that night, she told us that she would ruin our career in Canada and we'd never have a career in Canada and we would never do well there because of our attitudes. But I remember their stagehand threw Travis's kick drum and we got in like an argument, I think with like Dillinger's guitar tech or something. And it, it was a mess. Oh it was a mess. It was like our third tour ever, but that, that tour was rough. We were, I remember sleeping in the Chevy conversion van with the heat on in like Walmart, yeah. no, it wouldn't be Walmart, uh, like flying J parking lots and Tim Horton's parking lots. That was, that was a hell of a tour. <laughs> Jeez, I missed the end. I missed the end very, very much. Very good band. 
Yeah, absolutely. Let's dance into the soundtrack of your youth. When you're growing up in your parents' or guardian's house, what music was playing when you were not in control of the radio? What music did your parents or guardians listen to? Okay, it was always good stuff. Um, it was in, in my dad's car. It was always Van Halen, Boston, um, Van Halen, Boston. And then once we got into metal, once I got into metal, Black Album, Machine Head's The Burning Red. Burning Red was like a record that was always in there because Machine Head was the first live metal band I ever saw. And it was actually on the Burning Red record. And that's still hmm. my favorite Machine Head album. And I'll still tell Rob every single time, like, dude, that is my favorite record. And I think they've, embracing, they've been embracing playing more stuff off that lately, which is really great. So it wasn't bad. Because they pushed it away for a long time. Yeah, they yeah. did. Um, so it wasn't bad. Sick. What about uh, what your first live music experience? Was it Machine Head? No. For, or did you see like something else? Oh, before something that? totally different. Uh, I think my first show was it was either Blink One Eighty Two or Less Than Jake. And growing up in Central Florida at that period of time, it's like all pop punk, and still a lot of like kind of like pop punk derivative bands come from here. Like metal's not really a thing in Central Florida, and the death metal scene people always glorify. That was in the early nineties. I was I was like yeah, exactly seven six years old. So I did I didn't even know what death metal was at that time. But I got into pop punk first, and it was either, like I said, Blink-182 or Less Than Jake. Those are right around the same time. Those would have been one of the first shows. Um, I picked up guitar around 11, tried out for a pop punk band, tried out with Damn It, Blink-182. They didn't let me in the band. I gave up on guitar, gave up on being in a band, and then someone <laughs> let me the Black Album. Then I got into metal. Um, after getting into metal, I was like, oh, wow, there's heavier stuff. So I started digging in and finding first. The first three things I heard was one song of melodic death metal, Yotun by Inflames. It was Cannibal Corpse. I can't remember which Cannibal song, and it was Cradle of Filth, Dusk and Her Embrace record. I don't remember which track. Those were the first three pieces I heard, and I was like, well, this is amazing. I started digging into each of those and going further and further in. It's amazing. How about your first time on stage? Do you remember your first show? That would have been eighth grade, no, excuse me, seventh grade talent show. It was kind of right yes. when I was just in the metal, getting out of pop punk, playing Self-Esteem by The Offspring with a drummer named Chris in seventh grade, and we called ourselves The Vertigo. I think I was wearing like a big... You know, in the 2000, everyone wore like the, the button up shirts, but it had like a visual yes. effect. It was like black and white stripes. It was kind of like suede material and it was shiny uh, and maybe a ball chain necklace. And then the next year I played No Leaf Clover by Metallica and was asked to try out for a high school band called Trivium by the high school band kids who were in Trivium. Hmm. And I think then I, I don't remember what I was what I was wearing, but then the next show I played was the Lake Brantley High School Battle of the Bands. And we opened up with Sick by Slipknot, played For Whom the Bell Told Her Metallica, and one or two originals. Wow, that first show, were you ready? Were you prepped? That one, I think I was, because once I, when I was into pop punk, I mean, it was kind of, kind of the pop punk ethic, like none of them really practiced or were that great at yes. their instruments, so I wasn't very good. <laughs> so it was like true to the genre, but when I got in the metal to, to emulate the sounds I was hearing coming from the Black Album, I had to sit in my room and play a lot. And practice a lot so when you put a lot of that woodshed time in you know, i feel like it makes you a little bit more prepared for things i'm sure the first show the adrenaline dump is still something that these days you know you take a ton of ton of time off tour that's not something you never prepare for like i five to five days a week at least two hours a day i'm making sure i'm rehearsed singing screaming guitar playing but you can never train for adrenaline dump until you're actually playing a show so it's always that first couple and you have to wean it down and get control of it again absolutely it's it's insane i just did a cryptopsy we just played a show it was heavy montreal presents vox and hops brutal montreal my festival metal and beer fest that just happened and i was so busy conducting interviews backstage right up until the point i stepped on stage that i was halfway through crown of horns and i was like oh shit I, i'm playing a show i gotta fucking relax here and focus on what the hell i'm doing here because i came in like a bar and a half early and once I start, I don't stop. You know, <laughs> I'm going to finish my pattern. It's when my brain works. But thank God Chris Donaldson, my guitarist, had in-ears in for the first time. And he had no vocals in his in-ears because he would have been giving me the dirtiest looks. <laughs> Dude, I don't know how you do interviews all day into a set. That's that's intense. That's intense. It just worked. I don't know. I, I felt, honestly, I was, I'm typically nervous before big shows like something like that, something that I've built. But it. I wasn't. And my wife said the same thing. My, the producer of the podcast, she was like, you were just so calm and natural. I don't know. It was, I've been looking forward to it and it was awesome. That's awesome. That's great. Let's dance on Twitch. Uh, as of today, 236,000 people follow you. It's, it's crazy. You started before the pandemic, you mentioned, uh, what really got you into Twitch? Uh, it really started the popularity of it from video game people, people playing video games and watching people play video games and sharing with people. Uh, how did you realize that you could use this as a weapon basically for music? 
Uh, we had just finished a show in Barcelona that would be about four and a half years ago. And the promoter afterwards was like, hey, there's some YouTubers that want to meet you. And we're kind of like, huh, everyone's on YouTube. But we looked them up and we're like, all right, this main guy's got six million subs. So the guy's got two million subs. And we're like, they're all here. They're like, yeah, they're big trivia fans, too. So we met them all. Really great guys. We're still in, still good pals with them. They left the room. And after they left the room, I said it out loud in the dressing room. I was like, I should start making videos on YouTube. And Paulo actually said, he's like, I think you should look up Twitch instead. So I looked it up. And I was like, oh, it's live streaming video games. Like, that's kind of right up my alley. I've been playing video games my entire life uh, since I was about four or five. I think I beat Mario 1 when I was four or five. And I've just been hooked ever oh, since. Yeah. And I started two accounts that night off my phone. I opened up a YouTube account and a Twitch account. Um, I didn't really have a chance to do either until I got home. So I got home, started streaming Fallout 4, I think, was my first game I started streaming off a PS4 with a webcam with like two to four people watching me. I think all four of them are still subscribers to the channel. Um, I love and I remember just being like, this is insane. I can't believe people actually want to watch me do this. This is so cool. And the reason why I want to do that was Trivium has never been... I mean, up until this this 10th record, we've never really been like press band or a band that's like heralded by anything other than our fans and our supporters. So I want to give back to them. I want to be like, I want to hang out with the people that are liking my breakfast photos from the Midwest of America. And I want to play video games with them and just just hang out. So that's why I started that. So it started growing meagerly, you know, like 10, 15 people. I was stoked. I was like, I can't believe people want to watch me do this. And it was never a plan to do this for any financial gain. It was just, I wanted to give back to the supporters again. And I'd go on tour, stop it, go back on. But before one of the tours, I received a tweet from someone who worked at Twitch. His name is Volition. Brandon, he's still a very close friend of mine. He invited me to tour Twitch HQ. So I went down there, met Brandon and John, two people from Twitch. And they gave me a tour of the facilities, which were incredible. Um, I started getting more and more into all the streamers and everything, started getting into the Twitch culture. And John and Brandon let me this thing called the Gun Run IRL backpack. Gun Run was one of the original employees of Twitch, but it's a backpack where you can stream whatever you're doing wherever you are. So we streamed the Holy San Francisco, shit, awesome. yeah, streamed the San Francisco show that night. And I was like, this is incredible. Like the supporters loved it. I loved it. John and Brandon loved it. Twitch staff was there. They thought it was cool. They let me borrow it for the rest of the tour. Actually, I think I borrowed it for like a year. And so that's how I finished that up. But when I get home, I kind of went back to video games again. Became, like I said, good friends with John and Brandon, who became mentors for me. Brandon taught me about like uh, where to start my retirement fund. And John taught me about like stocks and they both taught me about Twitch and all these different things. So they were pals, but also mentors in Twitch and so much more. And we'd visit them in San Francisco. Anytime my wife and I would get tattooed, we used to fly all the way to San Francisco to get tattooed because I didn't have a tattoo artist down here. And now I finally do, thankfully. So we'd fly down over there. And I remember saying to Brandon, when we were all hanging out together, I was like, I love Twitch so much, but I can't stream as much as I'd like to because I need to practice vocals five to seven days a week, two to four hours a day, because I blew my voice out in 2014. I need to keep it up. I need more practice, more rehearsal, more rumps than other people need because I just need it. And Brandon said, why don't you stream that? And I said, Brandon, no one wants to watch me do vocal exercises and play the same Trivium songs every single day on Twitch. He's like, I bet you they do. Just try it out. So I went home, started that new rig, and the channel just kind of popped off a little bit from there. But then it would level out. You know, it would, it would have a peak and then a valley. Um, I went on tour, another peak, and then a valley. So it's always steady, like, chunks of growth. And that's, that's the difficult thing. I think a lot of band people are jumping in. And they're having success right at the gate. But the thing is, it's just like being in a band. It's just like getting in a van for the first time and deciding, hey, I'm going to go tour and try to make fans. It was just like that Canadian Dillinger Escape Plan support tour. It's going to have ups and downs. So I just stuck with it. And Brandon taught me, he's like, it's about community. It's about consistency. And you have to genuinely love what you're doing. And I, like I said, I never thought of it as I'm going to do this for a source of income. It was just a, I'm going to do this for the people that helped me to play my music for a living and kept it going when the world shut. That's when the channel truly exploded and the viewership like five, six X because everyone was home at the time. But I knew I was like, once things start leveling out again, the numbers are going to go back to where they were. And that's fine because I want people to be able to go back and support their families and do the things they love and do their jobs. But as we've seen ebbs and flows, you know, America's pretty much been open the entire time for better or for worse. Um, and you'll see the ebbs and flows as things shut from around the world, but it's, the way I think of the channel is I'm going to be rehearsing and practicing and doing the prep regardless. And if people want to come and hang out and be with some of the greatest people on the planet, come on down. And I really love it. One of the things that Brandon taught me as well and didn't teach me, but he pointed out was that I'm one of the few streamers he'd ever seen that recognizes and remembers all the subscribers by name. And I know what kind of games they play or what kind of characters they play when they game or 
things like that. And it's just, it's knowing, it's knowing the people that allow you to do what you do for a living. And that's, that's the thing that we've always kept with Trivium. Trivium has always been about community and only being solely supported by our supporters. We get to know them better than everyone. And that's why we kept doing the things like when the world was shutting for the first time, when the pandemic first started creeping around our labels, like you guys should delay your record. You should not release it. You're not going to sell any records, not going to sell any CDs because everything's shutting. And we said, we don't care. Like, just get this out. We're like, we don't know how the world, how long the world's going to shut. Release this record. So we put out what the dead men say. Uh, I was had no vinyl sales, no CD sales, but we didn't care. And we kept going. We would safely practice. At first, we're like, all right, well, we should stay away from each other and wear masks. So we'll all stay in separate quarters of our practice room and get ready. Let's put a show together. Did a pay-per-view show, invested all of our money that we had into making Lighter Distant Mirror happen. That was the money that was basically going to float us if touring didn't come back. But like, let's just sink it all into this and see what happens. And our supporters thankfully bought a ton of tickets, ton of merch. That thing went well. We were able to take that money, buy a headquarters, which is the Trivium airplane hangar that we bought, invest into that, and just keep it going. We, we kept saying, like, we can never stop. And when we weren't able to make records the, the traditional way, stay distant a bit, but we knew we need to be together. Like metal should be created in a room together with the same people. So masks and distance, mask, mask, vaccines, then vaccines and no masks, then vaccines and masks again, and then boosters and, and good to go. So it's, yeah, you just have to evolve with it. You can't fight against it. I remember when Spotify first started coming around or uh, digital music first started coming around. A lot of people would try to fight it. They're like, well, you know, this is terrible because CDs, the qualities are better. The quality is better. And, you know, less money and all this. And, and yes, you, we can have the attitude of I'm going to fight against a thing because it's not as good. But at times when I can't think of a better metaphor, but when that iceberg is dead in front of you and you're heading towards it, you have to veer and figure out how to get around it or above it. You can't just go through it. You can't hope to go through it. So we always try to like adapt and evolve and do things differently and do things differently than we've done and do things differently than we've seen other people do. Um, I don't know why that is. It's not like a rebellious thing. It's a, Hey, how do we evolve? And I think I always say in jujitsu to, to people that, you know, everyone that does jujitsu is pretty addicted. And they're always training when they're hurt. Like my um, MCL has been slightly torn for a while, but I keep going anyway. It's not fighting through an injury. It's working around an injury. It's stopping you, the use of that and compensating somewhere else till the other thing gets better. So it's not working through something. It's working around something. It sounds like you guys have been working very hard. That's for sure. I'm, I'm lucky That's that all four of us are, <laughs> as I quote myself, religious practitioners of our instruments. It's, it's incredible. And the mindset and the timing of everything that you've done seems to be fortuitous and seems to have came at the right time, you know, meeting, you know, starting Twitch when you did meeting the people uh, that run Twitch, uh, getting this live rig, building this all up, them encouraging you just to practice. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. The, the timings have always been, you know, I'll look or I'll hear stories nowadays of, you know, the stories we hear now. It's like, all right, um, young people decided to, hey, I'm going to invest in Bitcoin or Ethereum in 2016, 2017. And they see the writing in the wall. They hear the writing in the wall. And I kept, I remember the other day I was saying to my, I was saying out loud, I was like, man, I wish I had a friend that would have tipped me off about that. But then I realized John and Brandon did. They're like, hey, Twitch, like this thing, <laughs> you could turn this into something. And now, just like you said, so I, I don't know if it was the timing was right in this and in, in how things were going to go or it just kind of it, it altered the timeline i'm not sure which which way it is and sometimes you just have to take advantage of that and if it's right it's right and yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate i mean our band isn't massive but the fact that i get to play the kind of music that i want to do for a living and have a good time with that and it, it's amazing i mean I just signed my first book deal, not to do a traditional book, but to actually do a kid's book. So doing a kid's book of all Japanese stories, because I've never seen that exist in the mainstream world. I was like, I want to do something that's my stories, the Japanese folkloric stories done into a children's book. Um, my black metal record is coming out soon that is actually also based off Japanese stories. Except I said to myself, I've never seen or heard of a Japanese band that taps into the old lore of like the Shinto stories or the Japanese gods and goddesses and monsters. And it's finding these things that don't exist and creating them. Like when, when I want to stream music on Twitch, there was no guide to do it. There were other musicians streaming on Twitch, but they were doing, they were doing their thing. And that was kind of the set in the way I was like, I need to figure out how to make my way work here. So it's to quote myself again, it's organic improvisation on top of that religious 
practitioner's mindset. You got to put the work in. It's a hard grind to get anywhere. It's like the podcast. It's it's one episode at a time, one conversation at a time, one beer at a time. And uh, you got to be consistent. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what is the next level? What What is after Twitch? Is there already something else that's happening that you should be doing that you're not, that you're, 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 you feel like you're procrastinating on to, to <laughs> take yourself to that next level of being intimate with people? I'm gonna be keeping this going for forever. Hopefully, I absolutely love it. I, I see no no change or no need to change this. Uh, I do five days a week, two times a day for the last four years, essentially. I do seven days a week um, when I'm on tour. Seven days a week, one to four times a day on tour without fail because I love it. Once I incorporate something into my schedule, I keep it there. It's been really cool collabs. I've been able to do things to streaming on Twitch. Um, I just did an incredible, like I was like, I want to do like a 2004 style metalcore song. And I actually paired up with the drummer of One Direction to do it. And he's actually a wow. sick metal drummer. So we did that. Yes. Um, I did a, co- a cover of Richard Marks with Richard Marks, making it into a metal song, doing a song with Dead Mouse coming up soon, did a song with Mike Shinoda, just like random things that I wouldn't have been able to do before. So I think since being home, we've been able to stay productive with Trivium and build our hangar and make that exactly what we want to make it, but also being able to do these other interesting, strange things. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's It's... Creating things out of thin air are some of my favorite things in the world. Um, I'm working on a video game soundtrack, finally. It's been my lifelong dream to score a game. One of my jiu-jitsu partners, he was on the original Modern Warfare team. He like helped make Modern Warfare, and he's doing a really cool game, and they decided to sign me up, except it's majority samba and lo-fi samba music, so it's <laughs> okay. completely different than anything I've ever done, so it's just a whole bunch of, whole bunch of stuff. That's a yeah. different challenge. That's fun. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Just creating things that don't make sense out of thin air is one of my favorite things in the world. I have a three-year-old that's right there. You have a three-year-old too? Okay, awesome. How many kids do you have? One, two? I have two, but the three-year-old is home with me today, and we're doing an experiment, and I'm trusting him. He's playing with his trucks. We'll hear those falling in the background of the video of this, but he's going to be quiet most of the time. That's fine. I mean, you can hear my kids <laughs> screaming on my yeah. black metal record, like on a quiet part. You can hear them playing in the background. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, me and my wife, my wife mostly, actually released uh, two children's books throughout oh, the wow. pandemic. So, uh, Dang. They're about... They're about coping a family coping with the pandemic one wow. of them's called uh, today we're staying home and the other one's called uh, hidden rainbow when there was that whole rainbow movement of kids drawing rainbows and sticking them in the windows we made two books upon damn that that's amazing I'm an, early, I'm an early childhood educator and uh, i was basically just like an advisor on the book my wife jessica did all the work that's incredible awesome man i look forward to checking those out that's really cool They're, uh the artist is amazing Jeannie bond the illustrator she did killer killer work very then, uh, today we're staying home we, we snuck in a little vox and hops yeah. logo of course Let, let's that's talk awesome. about the court of the dragon um in the court of the dragon i apologize uh came out october 8th via roadrunner records uh it's a killer killer album uh, i have jerry monk uh, who's vox and hops's metal architect he curates all of my uh, playlists he's from texas he loves you guys so so he was like matt you gotta listen to this record so i did and i really really enjoyed it um but you've been digesting it for quite some time and i know what it's like recording and releasing music i'm curious if there's anything about this release that you wish you could change now that it's out there and it's gone and you can't if you could go back in time, what would be something that you would change? No, no. And I, I get asked that a lot for our entire discography. And we've taken some pretty crazy chances. Like records one through seven are completely different from each other. The only thing I'd ever go back, the only record I'd ever go change anything on is actually our first record. And the only thing I do differently is have a click track. That's the only record we didn't play to a click track. And the tempos are like all the hell over the place. And since it was our first record, we're like, we just got signed. Hell yes, let's go. And I was 16 and all I did was play guitar that the rhythm guitar playing is too fast okay. to play now. <laughs> so that's the only thing I, I just add a click track. I'm fine with the performances. Just like make it one tempo versus 15 tempos per song. But um, everything else, even the ones that the crusade and silence in the snow are probably two of the more polarizing records we've ever done. Cause we, I decided for crusade, which is our third record, let's do the exact opposite of everything we just did. Ascendancy, People felt like we nailed it. The UK loved it, but no one else really did. And people didn't take us seriously as a metal band, even though I was like, man, I hear, you know, I'll see naysayers say you guys are a metal core emo band. But I was like, man, there's death riffs on here. There's martyr riffs on here. And martyr, by the way, one of my favorite bands oh, yeah. of all time from French Canada, like oh, Daniel yeah. Mungrain taught me so much of what I know about guitar. It's killing it in Voivod. There's, 
Yes. And so like, yes, it's not as tech as Martyr, but Martyr was something like I took the influence of that and distilled it with like Dimmu Borgir, but also distilled it with like what was happening in German metalcore and all these different things. And so I said, let's show everyone how metal we are and that we know more about metal than these critics do. So we made it like an essentially an 80s thrash record after that had no screaming, no double bass, no nothing that we did on the previous record. Um, but I wouldn't even change that. And Sounds of the Snow, I blew my voice out, thought I could never sing again. We're like, let's go even pre thrash roots let's show people what influenced thrash let's go back to like dio maiden priest sabbath roots and make a record off of that um so even those like i I wouldn't change those i think that every mistake i even think every mistake that you ever make is good because it brings you to where you're going to be in the end it's just like jujitsu you have to tap and you have to tap off and you have to lose a lot you have to get trapped a lot you have to get choked and you have to get things you have to get caught and you have to lose a lot to get good. You can't only win. You can't only make the correct decisions because you'll never learn anything. But you must persevere and continue. Yes. Because you can't give yes. up. <laughs> yep. Yeah. One of the, the ethos for me of practice in life is I practice to be, let's say for vocals, for example, I practice to be as good as Bruce Dickinson and Freddie James and Freddie, Freddie James, <laughs> Freddie Mercury, <laughs> I was going to say Ronnie James Dio and Freddie at the same time as Freddie Mercury, Ronnie James Dio and Bruce Dickinson. I practice to be as good as them knowing it'll never happen. So I know it'll never happen. I'm going to keep working to get that good. So it's, you know, part of it sounds kind of negative, but it's not really. It's that cyclical, perpetual, always working to be the best. If fans ever ask, how do I get better? You guys are my favorite band. I say strive to be better than your favorite bands. And when we'd go out and play with our favorite bands, like, all right, we need to play better than them. And that's not thinking of it like a nasty, nasty competitive way, but in a way to better yourself and to always strive and always push and push and push harder. Mm. I love asking this question. I typically ask this question, but I feel like you've already done it. I always typically ask a band for a record. If you could, if you could pick a dream tour, the best tour to put your band in front of a bigger band's audience but you've already done that so there's no point asking this question you know you just finished the metal tour of the year you're doing it again you're going out on tour with iron maiden at the end of this year so so there's no point asking this question but i will flip the question and ask if you could choose smaller bands that could really benefit from being on tour with trivium what bands would those be we try to always bring them too. Thankfully, one of our favorite bands in the world, Fit for an Autopsy, they built an amazing career on their own, but we were able to bring them on a couple tours. I just always talk about them and they're on their they're on their biggest headlining tour ever right now. They're selling out venues, crushing it. The dudes hit me up. They're like, man, we're, you know, we don't have to be in a van on this tour. This is insane. So I'm so happy for them. And and, and any band that we could ever, bands don't need it, but if we can ever help promote, like we understand that of our size and that kind of like middle range of bands, Every band that we help promote and bring up from the underneath, like all rising ships, like what's I forgot that about the paraphrase As there, Jamie but says, yes, all yes, the, yeah, bring everyone up, <laughs> bring bring everyone up together. It should never be about this is mine, mine only. I'm not going to share. But when you know when I'm doing well on Twitch, it's good for me to bring over as many musicians as possible, and that's what we've been doing. Bring over as many people as possible so that the, the audience grows and every band can do well. Um, that's why ever since we've been out, when people first saw us, it was always us wearing shirts of our favorite bands, for like classics. And then it's us always talking about what bands we love and what bands to listen to. And same thing, like when I knew I was talking with you, I was like telling my chat in the morning, I was like, man, Cryptopsy is like, grew up with this. Like I still play the Fobofile riff all the time. And like, it's so important to talk about that um, because I see the bands bigger than us that could be securing the future for the rest of all the bands, us and everyone below. And they're not, they're bringing out the same bands that everyone else brings out the same bands that aren't of the same world that they should be and it's not you know protecting it for future generations of of heavy music and that's the way we try to do it but that's a new mindset of the the younger generation of musicians and collaboration as opposed to it's mine i'm afraid of you it's let's build this together high tides raise all ships there's the quote thank you <laughs> my i'm having a serious well you understand dad brain, but you are not seeming to have dad brain at all today <laughs> i've had two beers i'm okay yeah. that's usually when my brain starts working better too so i, I do see what you're doing <laughs> hey what's up fox and hops heads i just want to take a little moment about cryptopsy's upcoming tours that's right i'm talking about the scream of perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June 
We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer, and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. Uh, extreme metal. I know you're a big fan. You've just mentioned it. You were a guest on Cabal. Um, that was a funny story how that happened. Uh, for a bitter friend, you were on that. Uh, you have probably one of the best extreme metal drummers in your band that I've ever toured with, Alex Bend. He was playing with Decrepit Birth. When I first met him, we toured uh, Europe together. And uh, he's from Archaic, of course. Uh, so talk to me about extreme metal and how you try to sneak it in. To Trivium, is there a place for extreme metal in Trivium? You guys are obviously really into it, but you seem to delve in it, but not really push it into Trivium. Yeah, for us, it's always like tucked in there. I'm going to look at the discography now as I talk about it. Um, I'm trying to think of like the earliest times that it was ever really there. Actually, from Ember to Inferno, you can see you could see where I started bringing in because when Trivium first started, we were like a three piece thrash metal band. Then it was kind of like a three piece death thrash band, like early death. And then we started. I got it melodic death metal. That's when we made our blue demo, started making songs like Requiem and Fugue, and it was the German hardcore scene getting into that with, while also being super fluent in black metal, liking death metal. Like, like I've always been really into black metal, into death metal, heavily into melodic death metal. Then I, you kind of like pepper some metalcore on top. Um, but things like, you see, the song F- Falling to Grey, well, they'll have those very tremolo pick moments, but in E standard, so it doesn't really show off the death metal thing but it's really been like death metal has always been a little bit more in our band because it's been a little bit easier to incorporate that than black metal but you'll hear the chords of black metal kind of peak out a little bit i think it was later in the career more so in like in the court of the dragon that i was able to kind of flex that black metal muscle a little bit more like the chorus of in the court of the dragon the death metal aspect i think i think shogun we showed it off the most using those kind of monstrosity style or morbid angel early morbid angel style picking things like that um it's always just been like a healthy balance. We never really think too much like, hey, we need to show this, this, or this genre. Uh, the way we make music is we are just we practice tons with all the material that we have already. We might start with a riff or an entire song brought to, by, brought to the band by one of the guitar players, Corey, Paulo, or myself, bring into the room, and that organic improvisation is when that starts to happen, when we allow anything that we want to play, anything we want to do, just be there. Um, I think that that mixture, if you have to pick genres, I'm looking at the titles, if you have to pick it, it's the mixture of metal, like, you know, that kind of like Metallica thrash, like all broad range of metal, extreme metal, melodic death metal, probably being the most then death metal than black metal. And then a little bit of the core stuff like metal core and hardcore, but it's, I think it's not as much as people really give credit to at all times, but I think those three equal balances end up becoming, you know, the trivium of trivium. Just always loved it. I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised with Ibaraki because when I first wanted to do a black metal project, I understood the mentality of elitism and, and extreme metal because yes. I was one of those kids when I was 16. And black metal is probably the, a, the most. Yes. I was wearing a crazy, like, you know, long sleeve Crisian shirts to school while blasting Cryptopsy in my truck and showing up <laughs> and thinking that anything with clean vocals sucked. Um, and I understood the mentality and I was like, and I, and I was like, I don't want anyone to ever, you know, this is my heavy music. What you're thinking is heavy is not heavy. And I'd like show people, you know, gateways and gateways of annihilation. Um, or that's when puritanical first came out by Dimu and I was really, really into that record. So when I first started thinking like, Hey, I want to make black metal. I was like, I'm going to make it under an alias, not tell anybody it's me. And I'll show everyone how great it is. Um, it was 2010 or 2009 that I'd finished my first, like I, I finished this song and I was able to make contact with Ishan because I saw a kid outside in flames burger bar because I was good buddies with in flames, took a picture of this 15 year old kid wearing an emperor shirt. My friend, Darren Tom's a candlelight sent it to Ishan for me and connected with Ishan. And, and I said, Hey, I've been a big fan for you for a long time. Here's a black metal track. I wrote, I want to see what you thought. And he's like, yeah, this is, you nailed it. This is like pure second wave black metal. Good job. And that's kind of it. I was like, huh, that's it. But then he released Eremita. 
I listened to that record and when I started hearing saxophone solos and clean singing and jazz stuff and all this really bizarre stuff happening, I realized that if black metal, while for all its faults and for all its positives, was the response to metal being all the same and it was the rebellion, it was like, hey, we're going to rebel and make something completely different, something new. That was really cool. But then when it gets set in tradition and saying like, we have to stay this way. And if you go outside of this, you're this, this or this. It's not black metal. It kind of ends up doing the same thing that rebelled against. So then when I heard Ishan's approach with Eremita and I started thinking about the way he did Emperor, every single record was very different. Did things that kind of you weren't supposed to do or other bands weren't really doing or weren't really into and didn't fall in line with the things that the tropes of what you're supposed to do or supposed to be as a black metal musician. It reinvented the way I thought of it and I rewrote everything that was Mritzu at the time, the black metal project and shifted the music, changed it a lot. It became, I, I don't like when I say post people kind of picture like shoegaze in their <laughs> yeah, head, but it's not like, it's not like that at all. Um, labels, but it kind of people became different. It makes them feel, <laughs> yes. Makes them yeah, I think it's good to like use like a base, a base <laughs> reference point and then go from there as we finished all the music and we started in 2010 wow. and now it's 2022 and we're finally about to release 12 it. 12 years. I couldn't figure out what the heck to do for the lyrics. And I, I remember seeing Ishan one day, I was like, man, I wish I were Nordic so I could write about Thor and Jormungandir. And he's like, Matt, that's been done. He's like, and you have it. Tap into your Japanese side. This, it just all opened in my mind. I wrote the lyrics of the entire record within like two or three days, wrote it all in the stories of, you know, I just referenced Thor and Jormungandir, the story of that in Japan is Susanoo fighting Yamato no Orochi, which is this eight-headed serpent in the sea. And Susanoo is the, the storm god, essentially the Thor of Japan. And that's already tattooed on my back. And I was like, oh, there's the story. I know this story. So I started writing about that, changed the band name to Ibaraki, and made it all about Japanese stories, which then influenced the idea of, I was doing some stuff for AAPI month, Asian American Pacific Islander month for Twitch, which is really cool because I was like, wow, I've never had Asian peers in metal, like maybe like one or two people or like Eddie Van Halen was like one of the few heroes, him and Kirk, like half Asians that, that I knew that I looked up to. And I was like, I want to make a book that can like show the Asian stories all to everyone and, and kind of show everybody a little bit about my culture. And because I've always felt weird being like I'm half Japanese, 37 percent Irish and like a bunch of other mixed stuff. So I never really felt like I fit in fit in somewhere. And then to start seeing like, well, I can show the people the stories of my culture and hopefully influence others to go, wow, that's where Matt's stories come from. I wonder what this person's stories come from. I wonder what this country has to say about these legends or these lessons in life. And it was this really cool thing that was all from that conversation. I remember sitting on the side of my kid's sandbox when he said that to me on FaceTime. He's like, tap into your Japanese side. And it opened up from there. Now, as we talk about, he and I talk about Ibaraki too and talk about what he's been up to. It's, it's all exciting. It's really fun stuff. That is very exciting. And it makes perfect sense that it comes from you. Because there's nothing, there's nothing more important when you're creating to have it be a part of yourself than trying to imitate something else. I'll never forget touring. My first tour ever with Cryptopsy was in Mexico. And that we were playing, or we went to a bar afterwards and there was a black metal band playing from Mexico. And we were very, con it was like, it's awesome that they're playing black metal, but it'd be so much cooler if they were playing something that belonged to them mm -hmm. and that they were showcasing Absolutely, their culture. Yeah, yeah. So this is amazing that you're doing that. What, what are you imagining for this in the future? Is there, are you going to tour Ibaraki? Is it just a release? Are, are you, what, what, what is the stage going to look like? Because typically black metal tends to have a lot of uh, theatrics that go with it. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I mean, we were talking about shows and thinking about shows originally, but because it's essentially a one man band right now, I mean, mm -hmm. it's me on everything. Ishan actually co-wrote quite a few things. He did all the symphonics, just like he did off the new Trivium record. Like all the symphony stuff's all Ishan. Really? He did all the he did all That's the symphony awesome. stuff and all the different instruments on Ibaraki as well. Alex played all the drums, but it's really just like a one man kind of thing. I'm not sure. And as we start to talk about the concept of the second one, I think we're in a because it's you know a project that isn't Trivium. Like Trivium, we've already done all the pivots. We did seven pivots to land up on eight, nine, and ten being the summaries of everything that we do. So we're finally consistent. I'm not saying we were inconsistent in professionality, but like we liked to go, where else can we go? I feel like Ibaraki, it can go anywhere. And I think that's the, the beauty and the fun. And I've been very into like what Wardruna is doing, very into the fact that like you can tap in even further of where the roots of something come from. So there, there is even that. I've been saying like, I would love to like learn some traditional Japanese instruments and go to that level. So maybe we can even 
go super old school. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Uh, let's talk about the hanger. I'm so damn impressed. Uh, at what point did you realize that you needed this in your life? A headquarters? Uh, is it heavily inspired by Metallica HQ? Um, let's start with those. I have a few more. Yeah, we started looking around and we started saying, all right, we're, you know, like I say, we're middle sized band. And we started looking around like the upper middle. We're like, they don't really have like a thing we know of. You know, Metallica and Foo Fighters, they have a thing, but mm-hmm. how come more people don't have a thing? We started getting fed up with paying rent at a place we hated. Exactly. We're like, we hate being at this old 60s music store that we're rehearsing at. It's terrible. It burned down once while our stuff was in it. Oh, shit. So we, we started to hate it. And we say, we said, like, let's look around. So I started looking at residential real estate to turn it around. Then I started, uh, I was introduced by a realtor to commercial real estate and she showed me an airplane hangar that was an Airbnb. And I was like, this is incredible. And the price is a little out there. I mentioned, I mentioned the story later on to my mother-in-law. I was like, yeah, we found this really cool thing. It's just a little bit too expensive. And it's an Airbnb or airplane hangar. She's like, oh, you know who's selling one of those at the same plot is Ashley's cousin. So Ashley's cousin, who also happens to be the owner of a construction slash contracting business, owns this hangar he's selling next door to him. So he sold it to us, did all the build outs of everything. We're able to get a really good rate on it. And it's been very inspiring and it's, it's already paid for itself essentially like with all the photos and video shoots and now other bands, because there's nothing in Orlando to use that's affordable or in a good area. And it wasn't our plan to have some people can rent out, but now we've got other people talking about, they want to shoot videos there or, or shoot things there, live streams there. We're building out our studio. So when we do record 11, we'll fully do it in the hangar. So we could take our entire recording budget and just put it into that instead of having to pay a studio. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. It's just the idea of investing in ourselves and um, yeah, I think it's, it's been a lot of fun. What were some of the biggest challenges uh, getting it to sound good? Because uh, I can only imagine a hangar is, is, is boomy and stuff. I saw you guys like, built a room up in it. Yeah, the room up there is perfect. Like amazing. We didn't have to do much. Uh, I th- think the roof spray is called isonine. And that just helps with a little bit with sound, a little bit with AC. But I think it's good to have to practice outside of like the perf the perfect conditions sometimes. Like the main floor of the hangar no shows tend to Exactly. Be. <laughs> the main floor of the hangar, like it's too expensive to AC that area. So it's always pretty hot. But that's good. It keeps you used to playing hot shows. It keeps you used to being used to weird acoustics. Also, we don't use we don't use cabs for rehearsal rooms. We're finally bringing cabs back to our live show. We basically, I think we, I don't think we've been using cabs since like 2009. And I think from 2009 is when we started using amp modelers, but now we're back on heads back on cabs. But we, the opposite of everyone else. I love that. Yeah. yeah always the opposite, <laughs> but now we're going back to heads, but heads with the capture X is so that models the, the cabinet itself to the PA. So we've got to direct out to the PA, but then we're also using cabs on stage for our stage volume, which we got the idea from being on tour with Megadeth and Metallica. They both have cabs that they're not miking. It's purely just for the feel. So we brought that back and that's been really nice. So it's like the perfect, uh, perfect mixture of like old school and new school, which is like what we pride ourselves on, on being into like knowing where your roots come from, but also where they need to go. I typically ask people how they've been filling the void, but we know how you've been doing that of performing live. You got to perform a bit. My question really is, uh, when do you sleep? (laughs) it's <laughs> a good question our kid finally our, akira's a really struggled sleeper too so he only learned he he didn't start sleeping the night till about 13 and a quarter months but his daughter his daughter his sister there we go again <laughs> our daughter his sister mia was like a great sleeper by three months okay. so but if one of the two of your kids isn't a good sleeper as you know then you just aren't sleeping well so we, we sleep when we can um but yeah i, I recognize i'm a very high anxiety person and the more things I am doing that I want to do, the better that anxiety is. I don't know. I don't know if it's band-aided. I don't know if it's quenched. I don't know if it's silenced, muted, or what it is. It's but just that your brain is occupied is on something else and the anxiety has to hide. Yeah. So I like to work a lot. Like when we do the stream, it's making sure I practice a ton on my own. Uh, do something constructive as well. But I'm also very much so into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Ashtanga Yoga and Steel Mace and all this stuff. So it's, it's a lot of things that I do. Um, but I make sure it's always things that I want to do. It's it's never, never things that don't make sense. And I think by now, I know what things don't make sense for me. Um, but it's nice. It's like there's like three entities of myself. There's like Trivium, which is very established. There's this kind of like me thing that can do like dumb, stupid internet memes where it still feels authentically <laughs> me and hilarious and strange. And there's Ibaraki, which is gonna be incredibly serious. And I, I feel like having those three partitions, they're they're already essentially there and. I love the fact that Ishan one day said, he's like, Matt, I think it's really interesting that 
you can do this very seriously Baraki project. You can do what you do with Trivium, but then you can also do the silly stuff that you do on online. And he's like, and it all makes sense. He's like, and none of it hurts each other, which I think is really cool. And it was, it was great to hear that from someone like him. Yeah, because he is the master of seriousness. <laughs> yes. yes, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Let's talk about beer collabs. I love them. Uh, I've made probably 35 of them in the past year and a half. Um, you've done some stuff with some breweries. I came across a few things before sitting down here. Uh, Big Brew, Dig Brew, sorry, dropped a Yuzu IPA, which was a Yuzu juice, Citra hops, 5%, uh, for a record release listening party in Birmingham. And then Red Light, Red Light Drew, uh, Brewery in Orlando did a wit beer for you guys for another listening party. Uh, have you guys done any other big beers? Uh, have you released a beer or Trivium in the past? We've only done the, the event ones. We've wanted to do a globally or nationally distributed one for a long time. It's just finding a partner that wants to do it with us as well. Because I know it's like, I know it's, I assume it's tough on both parties, but we've been approached for like a state based thing or a city based thing. The only way we do that, if it's state based, if it's Florida, because I feel like it makes sense, but we really want to do at least full US, full North American, or full world. So any great beer companies that want to do it, I hit up Urban Chestnut. I was like, hey, if you guys ever want to do a collab beer, I think we've read right, the right ones for it. Um, I've always felt that doing a, um, which let me make sure I get the style order in line. A Belgian style Japanese. That's one of my favorite beers in the world. Like Ginga Kogen is one of my favorite Japanese beers in the world. And it's a Belgian style Japanese beer. That would be a perfect thing for us to do. So if any of your beer friends or beer contacts are interested, yes, we are absolutely interested. We just want to make sure it's got the right distribution, whether it's all North America or whole world. That's what we want to do. Very interesting. Maybe you could uh, team up with a uh, Unibrew like Megadeth. Yeah. I, I, lo- I love their brewery. <laughs> I love their stuff. I think they make some of the best Belgian style outside of Belgium. Them mm-hmm. and Holland, surprisingly, make some of the best Belgians outside outside of Belgium. Interesting. Interesting. What would you call that beer? I mean, we could pull anything, anything cool that sounds Japanese, I think works. Um, we could do something <laughs> off in the Court of the Dragon, which would work. Uh, they, I can't remember exactly the, the words that we used at red light, red light, but it was in the court of the dragon in French is what we did for that one for the, for that. Um, but yeah, we've done a couple beers with red light, red light, which is one of my favorite beer bars in the world. If you're ever down here in Orlando, I'll take you there. It's, it's incredible. It's so cool. I, I like the selections are amazing. It's always one of the top rated beer bars in North America, maybe not North America, but at least the States it's insane. And it's like just a, a few minutes from my house. I would love that. I would love that. Let's wrap up. One last question. Probably doesn't happen to you very often. You got two young twins, three-year-old twins that got you going. You stream twice a day, five days a week. Uh, If not, you're writing a black metal record. You're jamming. You're building a hangar. You hardly sleep, but every once in a while, it happens to everyone. Uh, What is your hangover cure? Yeah, I found that my later age, like we went to and we celebrated our, our anniversary the other day and had like two giant glasses of wine and a cocktail and we were both dragging the next day like man this is all we can handle nowadays <laughs> i mean i i feel like i always I, I eat like five times a day i drink like two gallons of water a day so if i'm hungover and that's still going on it's, it's a problem Corey would always go to pedialyte but he never really is hungover he's like the the champion drinker of our band <sighs> just good like good bad for you food would be the way like <laughs> diner food, uh, Southern comfort food. There's a restaurant we've got here called seven bites that does like stoner gourmet, Southern, super heavy, super heavy stuff. They've been on diners, drive-ins and dives a lot. Their stuff's insane. Like that kind of food usually is the remedy that with like more booze, they have a beer mosa there. It's like an orange beer that they mix with champagne that and a bunch of like baked things and you're good. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> Matt, thank you so, so much for taking the time hanging out with me, talking about your life, music and craft beer. Absolute honor. So much fun. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Massive cheers. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, was this ever so, so much fun to connect with Matt. Uh, what an awesome, awesome dude. What an awesome interview. He was just so open and an excellent speaker. What what a pleasant, pleasant conversation I had. I am very, very stoked that he agreed to record this interview on his Twitch channel. He's absolutely killing it on there. So that was very cool of him 
to allow me to conduct my interview in front of his audience. I hope that you, if you have not yet, go and subscribe to that Twitch channel because he's on there meticulously many times a week and he's always doing awesome things. Massive cheers to Matt and I cannot wait to hear more of that Ibaraki project. It sounds awesome. Everything that I've heard so far has been amazing and I can't wait to hear the rest of the album. Massive, massive cheers to you, Matt. I cannot wait to share a brew with you soon. Now, if you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast mailing list. You can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And when you do that, you shall receive two emails a month, which will contain all of the details of everything that has happened throughout the past few weeks in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. You'll get to see all the details for any episodes which I dropped. You'll get to see if I've been a guest on someone else's podcast. You'll get to see all the reviews that the Vox and Hops album review crew have released. And you'll get to see which bands Jerry Monk, the metal architect himself, has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist, which is available on both Apple Music and Spotify. You will also get a little glimpse into any projects that I have in the works before I announce them to the public. So there's just so much going on in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. I would hate for you to miss a single thing. So please sign up to the mailing list. The Vox and Hops Metal Podcast is brought to you by Sound, Talent, Media, and Evergreen Podcasts. I hope you have a glorious, glorious week. I will be back next week with one episode on Tuesday. But until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. It is now 2024, and the choice is up to you. Do you listen to good podcasts, or do you listen to bad ones? Well, we've got a suggestion for you. How about you listen to a good podcast for the first time in your miserable life? I can think of one. Overnight Drive. Going strong. 11 years now. The podcast about nothing. Your favorite podcast's favorite podcast. Do you enjoy nothing? <laughs> so do we. Why don't you come over and check it out and stop listening to other podcasts? Thank you. <laughs>